Welcome to Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. A Buddha is someone who's awake within the matrix and co-creating with divinity as a soul having a human experience. Each enlightened episode is dedicated to help you level up the energy field of your Merkaba. You can manifest the parallel reality that fits the best version of you. This podcast is for entertainment purposes and does not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. Now, let's welcome your host, author Von Galt, and her guest. Welcome to another episode of Macabre Chakras podcast. Now today, I get the privilege to interview metaphysic author Bert Harding. Joining us as well is his partner Susie Harding. Today, Bert will discuss how the whole education system is based on the idea that the brain creates consciousness. However, recent studies in near-death experiences, also known as NDEs, have shown that consciousness is not of the brain and is beyond time and space. Now, cases like Dr. Eben Alexander and Pamela Reynolds, among millions of others, prove that time and space are not our own true nature. Bert himself had a near-death experience in 2007. In his latest book, The Four Groundbreaking Unknown Facts of Reality Came Into Being After Being Asked the Question, What Have You Learned After All These Years of Spiritual Service? The answer to that one profound question spawned an inquiry that resulted in a book. These four questions take the spiritual student through the four unknown facts and reveal stunning answers to the age-old questions that drive many of us in the spiritual journey in the first place. So welcome, Bird. Welcome to Macabre Chakras. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really excited. I, I went through some of the material and... Um, it's just a wealth of information about awakening and ascension and a lot of these stuff that is found a new zeal in um, modern culture right now around the world, especially in the West. And, and I know, you know, as much as I know that these are very ancient topics in the East and you've have a very interesting um, background in terms of how you got into writing about spirituality in the first place so let's begin with that very wonderful picture of the man behind you Ramana Maharshi I'm gonna mess this up Maharshi (laughs) the yogi from India tell us about how that relates to your personal awakening and getting you into the space you want me to go through the whole story Sure, yeah, we want to hear it. Everybody's journey is a little bit different, so. I used to work as a physiotherapist with Polk's Health Service. This was in Toronto at the time. And uh, I I love physical activity. I was was totally into physical anyway. I used to be a bodybuilder. I was Mr. Eastern Canada. Um, This was way a long time ago. 
Um, what happened, I'm just make a long story short, what happened is that the boss um, su supporting a very uh, expensive institute charged a lot of money for the students to, to come to the place. What happened is he was going through a slight uh, financial problem and asked me, instead of doing your physiotherapy work, could you just play sports with them and let them win? Okay, so I did that. But what happened is it was so successful and that people kept uh, becoming members because of the fact that they were told, oh, you play tennis greatly or you play golf greatly because I used to play both. And so when they started to win, but as a result of that, I felt guilt. I felt I was not doing service. I was cheating, not only the people, but myself. And I became deeply depressed. So depressed, in fact, that I didn't know what to do with my life. One day going to work early in the morning, Saturday, uh, going down the stairs, opening the door to the outside to get to, to my car, a man appeared to me. And this man was the most beautiful, had the most beautiful face I'd ever seen in my life. It was an old man, Indian man. And um, if, if I guess if I reached out and touched him, I would have, but I didn't. It lasted only about two minutes, but it was very physical. The message that he left me through his radiant shining eyes is that I am a spiritual being. And the whole secret of life is very simple. It is this moment. That's it, and then disappeared. During, during the disappearance, when I, I kept going back to work, I felt uh, in a daze, unsure of myself. But I told myself, because I studied psychology for a long time, I told myself that I'm having a hallucination. At work, I told the people the same way um, about the story, meeting this man, and they said, oh no, it's a hallucination. You know, the mind can produce all kinds of experiences. Well, one day I, on, on a date, in, uh, on a Saturday in, in, uh, in Toronto, was walking down, trying to remember words, excuse me, sometimes I, I forget the, the names. And we spotted a bookstore, a new bookstore. And I love books. So I said to her, well, let's go down and explore this bookstore in a cellar. You know, we go down the stairs. But as soon as I got down and I saw the list of books that are just came out, I saw the picture of this Bhagavan Ramana Maharshi. Well, the moment I saw his picture, I started to cry. I held this book in my hand and I said, so this was real. What I experienced was real. This man actually appeared to me. You see? I like to make a long story short from that because it's very complex. After that, um, I quit my work and I established myself in an Italian home in the basement apartment and all I wanted to do, I saved my money, all I wanted to do was meditate and chant his name. I let my beard grow, I let my hair grow. That's a, that's a, uh, all, all I did was yoga exercises. And, uh, 
I'm yeah. Doing so, like, you really felt a connection to um, your spiritual teacher. That's right. A very strong one. Now, tell me, now, he died in 1950, I think it was, 1950? Yes. So, um... This happened in 1973. In 1973, uh, a, a master spiritual teacher appeared to you in front of your house, gave you some nuggets of really nice pieces of information to get you set on your way to your awakening. Through telepathy. Through telepathy, yeah, that's usually how they do it. Um, (laughs) Not going to give you the answer, but he'll send you on your way. So, um, and and, and, and you're telling everybody about, I just had this vision, this master teacher said this to me, and everybody's like, you're hallucinating. Now, um, and then you see him, and he's been deceased for almost two decades at that point. And, um, and he's kind of still relatively un- unknown for many people. So as you start getting, so you obviously went into his work, and you went through the yoga and some of the other things. Now, what was your journey going through? you know, his teachings and the, the, the things that he left behind and kind of, you know, what the, happened? Yeah, the experience itself was very transforming because you have to um, picture going to work, telling all my people, my friends, that I've seen this person appear to me and they started making fun of me. Jokes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After a while, I thought they, they might be right. I'm... I was so unhappy, I was picturing this. But then I realized by seeing his picture and reading his books that this was real. Well, yeah. the, it struck me, this was real. Like, my whole world shook up. See? Mm-hmm. There is no death. This man actually appeared to me. Yeah. And, uh, a lot I, of people, you, you know, Bert, a lot of people who are very kind of left brain, very analytical, very, you know, scientifically minded, when they have these type of personal experiences, um, it, it, it really kind of challenges them to kind of, you know, fuse that right and left brain and fuse that spiritual to your everyday. So now you're starting to question reality a little bit. That's right. That's right. And I thought that there's so much I don't know, which was true. You have to remember the fact that I was brought up a Catholic. Mm-hmm. So, and I was totally against those beliefs because they just didn't make sense, even when I was a child. So anyway, so all I wanted to do then is simply to love him. That's all. I had his pictures everywhere. Um, uh, it was a... It was a basement apartment. All I had was just a bed, and that, that's about it. And all I did was chant his name, do yoga exercises to keep him in good shape, and pray and meditate. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, a YMCA scout who was looking for classes to give in the YMCA, he saw me do these exercises, and he said, would I want to teach people after you shave your beard and cut your hair <laughs> and appear normal again like a human being <laughs> yeah. I started yoga and that took off and then the yoga itself led to satsangs and um, deeper you know, 
Yeah. So, so your yoga classes that when people first started taking your yoga classes, they were coming in for maybe um, the physical wellness, but then they got a little bit more <laughs> out of it. So did you start getting people going, uh, Bert, I thought I was just doing breathing exercises and regular, you know, wellness exercises, but I'm getting a spiritual awakening. What's going on? You know, what, did you get some of that? What was that like to get that from your, your students? Right, right. And then I had uh, a few students who were coming in to my place and they were once a week a meeting. And I began to call these meetings, you know, satsangs, talks, meditation. And it kept on expanding, growing and growing from uh, one class a week to 13 classes a week. Oh, wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. How do you not ex- overextend yourself? Um, you know, because there is a balance. There is a balance. You know, the, when somebody gets into their awakening um, and they start working on their raising their energy, you know, they have an insatiable appetite. And you happen to be the vessel in which they're going to get that information. So how did you balance? Well, this was a time when people never heard of yoga. Oh, yeah. Too, also. So. Yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. So now, in your book, the four groundbreaking unknown facts of reality. Now, you know, you said that you also had a, a near death experience in two thousand seven as well. So you went through this whole journey in your awakening, went into your yoga, and you know, having satsang. Um, speeches to your students but then you had a near-death experience so how did that play into furthering your awakening and ascension process yeah this is the interesting part um Mm. normally i'm a very healthy person always in good shape i was a gymnastic champion at the ymca where i was uh, anyway uh uh in uh in the year 19 um what was it 2007, 2007 yeah. um, I was married, and her name was Sylvia. She's still a very good friend of mine. She's lovely. Anyway, um, what happened was that all of a sudden, I, we were out, and as soon as I got home, I developed a high fever. <clears throat> and it came so serious that uh, she took my temperature and it was about 105, 106 temperature, right? So very serious. So she began to panic and she wanted to call the doctors. And I said, no. I said, this, this is something that is happening and I don't understand, but it could be a spiritual emergence. Sometimes things like that happen and, and I was okay with it, knowing that even if I die, so what, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but when I was with her, I experienced something. I, I see my eyes were always weak ever since I was 13 years of age. Mm-hmm. But when I had the fever, I could see more than 2020. Oh, what was that like? Uh, it's like, for example, uh, 20 feet away, a book I could see the title of the book, mm-hmm. small, very small print. So, and then when the fever abated, I would go into shakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again. Then I would go into shakes again. So I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't do anything. Well, after 
three, four days was this, but I don't remember exactly. Um, I began to die. And one morning she, she came to me and I knew that I was dying. She came over to me and she saw me. I was so limp, I couldn't even raise my head. And so she called 911 and, oh, and this was in Vancouver. This was not Toronto, okay? I'm in Vancouver now. And, the, um, and they took me to a uh, hospital. Uh, what was the hospital? I'm not sure the name, General? General, Something yeah, like yeah. Vancouver yeah. General Hospital, right. You know, by ambulance. The moment I arrived in the hospital, I died. And I was on the gurney. And at that moment, when I was out of the body, I saw everybody was my family. I, I knew everyone as a part of me. I understood their past. I understood their feelings. I, I knew what they felt. I knew how they, uh, all the emotions, everything. I was one of them. I could tell their story, each one. Let me ask you something about that, because I have spoken to a couple of NDEs, and many of them, when they get to that spot, that spot they feel that instant knowing of everything. They connect, they're connected to everyone. There is no ego involved that, to separate their consciousness from another person. So can you explain to people who are trying to make sense of how is it that we are all connected, but yet... In this reality, in the physical, we have our own identity and ego, but then it's an illusion when you cross over. So can you explain that to people to kind of make sense of how can you have two? How can you have two at the same time? Well, this is it. This is the most difficult thing because you're always I am. See, after, after one, one thing that became very clear is that the nurses, the doctors, everybody believed that we are all a body. Nobody knew that we are actually spirit. And um, that kind of, whoa, you know. Even then, I was still thinking as Bert. But I, there was no Bert. And then, and then I felt the light coming at me, and I became one with the light. And um, to explain that, I don't think it's possible. But to give you an idea, I had a mother, which is the most beautiful mother one can ever have she loved me dearly we got along well but the light was thousand times more loving than my mother was and it, it was mm -hmm. an incredible experience mm -hmm. i could think i could feel and um i saw even sylvia lying next to me you know i wasn't but next to my body, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the body. Uh, explain explain this this okay so the the light came to you and it doesn't hurt it's this nice soft ambient light yes yes as a matter of fact it's brighter than the sun but you can look at it directly and it doesn't hurt the eyes at all as a matter mm -hmm. of you want to emerge in it. Another okay. thing that happened too is that all of a sudden I became aware that there was no body, no body, physical body. And then, and then I thought about the hand and I went like this and my hand materialized in one second. Question. So 
the physical holographic matrix, the world in which we think that we are, the sims in which we think we are, the identity in which we think we are, when you get reabsorbed into the the golden light, it all it it all dissipates. So, what is there? What is there from from your experience? Who we really are, our true home. See, the one thing that felt about the light is that I was home. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go back to the body. But of course, I did. Mm-hmm. That, that is the most powerful thing, is that everything that we've been living so far, the religion, the philosophy, the psychology, um, I'm not saying they are wrong. I'm, say, I'm saying that it's, it's not the truth. You see? So we're not living in a life that, that is true, that is real. The, the, the body itself is like a garment. But another thing too that is that having the body is necessary for us to experience life. Yes, yes. I, I, yes, def, definitely. No, I, I, definitely, I definitely agree. I know in Buddhism, we always talk about everybody's energy. Consciousness is what is real. And we are a split of the whole when you reemerge with the whole, you are the whole, you are it. There are no separation of identities. Um, and everything else is just basically, um, I like to use the common uh, modern interpretation. We're all, these are our sims. These are just the avatars that we play in, the vessel that we play in um, for the storyline and, and for the purpose that we are having the incarnation for now when you were on the other side did you see your master teacher or did you sense or feel anything i didn't see anyone or because i did a lot of reading now since then i've been reading a lot of uh, such experiences and they also are meeting their parents their pets etc etc no i never met anything but at, at yet i wasn't alone yet i felt if there was a tree, I could be that tree and think like that tree. Or if I see the grass, the grass was alive too. Mm. Everything was alive. So there is no such thing as being alone because there is no aloneness. It's all one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I am everyone at the same time. Yeah. So it's really hard to differentiate the, of any other presence because you feel all of it and that you feel none of it. Yes. And, so and you I, are everything. So when you when some, if somebody asks you, like if they did hypnosis and they ask you, did you feel any other presence? You're, you're going to say, no, I just felt myself. It was all me. Yeah. I could still experience other presences, but I also know that it's all oneness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all integrated whole. Yes. So, you know, with your book, The Four Groundbreaking Unknown Facts of Reality, you know, how did the beginning from your experience, how did the beginning come into being? Okay. Um, I went through a very long period of um, not retirement, but um, uh, I, I gave up satsangs and I, I went through a very quiet period for about 10 years in this very apartment. And I wasn't doing much. Um, I'm just trying to remember all the details. Uh, oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. 
Uh, my daughter, I haven't seen my daughter for 24 years. And she's all of a sudden, out of the blue, she said, Bert, I'd like to come and see you spend two weeks in Vancouver. She's from um, Brighton. Toronto area. No, Toronto area, yeah. And uh, she wanted to, to be with me for two weeks. And I said, yes, fine, you know, and I'm living alone. And um, when she arrived at the airport, it's as if I, I knew her all the time. She, oh, and incidentally, she's also a meditation teacher and she's quite psychic. And the moment we met, it was just like, wow. You know, it was a great integrated relationship. Well, she stayed with me here in this apartment for two weeks. In those two weeks, we said, let's do something spiritual. It was her idea. And she said, let's do, um, her name is Deborah Harding. So she said, Let, let's do Harding Love love on video so did it with it six tapes they're, they're still on youtube in one of them which is number four i believe i say where i was giving a talk to a satsang group and one of them said bert he said you've been doing this for over 50 years what have you learned and um without equivocation i said I learned to trust who I am, and that's it. And I left it at that. I trusted who I am. Well, after writing that and taking Deborah to the uh, airport, saying hello and I'm alone, I thought, um, I began to receive many letters, many such letters, people asking me, what did you mean by I am, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I had at least 25 letters, okay? Uh, emails. So then I thought I'd write an article and send it to all of them. But that night I got up at three o'clock in the morning and I have a board in which I we write the groceries and this people, etc. You know, I have to and I started writing the four unknown facts. And it felt like a voice was talking to me. I called it the Holy Spirit or um, my intuitive voice, whatever. But what happened is that at one point, I began to question and I said, well, how can I do this? How can I keep writing this? And the voice would not argue with me, but she says, don't worry, I'll guide you step by step. But I became afraid that if somebody called, it would take me away from the voice. I felt that if I had to go to the bathroom, I would waste the time. If I had to waste the time. And so somebody knocked whatever or called. So I said, uh, I quit everything. I turned off the phone. I wouldn't answer the door. I wouldn't eat at home. I didn't have any groceries, but I had a few bananas. So I had a banana a day. So I started writing whatever this voice was telling me. And there was no birth in those few days that I wrote the book. The book took about um, six to 10 days. I'm not sure. I never, I never really slept except lie down. I never ate and, you know, drink some water. Uh, and I had uh, coconut water at the time. Um, and that's it. 
What I am interested in is talking about the four facts because they were, they were not, nothing I've ever had that was as powerful as these four. Right. And what are the four facts that you uncovered through this meditation? I mean, you know, I mean, the simple idea of meditation is just not thinking about anything and just the monkey mind just stop and you were able to channel this book through. So what were the four facts that you discovered that you wrote about? It didn't come through a meditation. Oh, okay. You know, I got up in the morning and uh, I had no say in the matter. I just like, get up at three o'clock in the morning and I had to write for a known fact. It's almost like writing itself. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. State. But the moment I saw the four, uh, and you know, the sentences there, I was aghast and I became afraid that somebody is going to take me away from this. And I, I, I just wanted to stay completely focused on this voice. I don't mm-hmm. know what the voice was but it wasn't my own regular thinking. Right, right. I wrote those four. And those four are life-changing. They answer every question you could ever ask. I, <clears throat> I, the book was uh, published two years ago, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been as popular as I thought it was. Although one man wrote me and he said, Bert, I read your book. I'm a teacher of A Course in Miracles. And it made the course so easy to understand. So, and also, incidentally, I bought the Course in Miracles book years, years before, even the moment, uh, the year it was published. So I had it on the case. So that made me more interested. And that yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've read A Course in Miracles and it's a really good thousand page book. And I really recommend people of all of many of the, the books out there. It is one to read um, and it's very, very good content. Um, now, you know, you say, you know, the greatest emptiness of, you know, the greatest, the human suffering, the greatest human suffering is emptiness. Can you explain why emptiness is the greatest human suffering? Yes. First of all, Rule number one, or number one uh, fact of life, which unknown fact, is that we. The way it was given to me is that there's a, a huge source of energy, and the source of energy is itself love, unconditional love. In in this un, um, in this vast space which is also known as um, the eternal. Always. <laughs> the, eternal, <laughs> the eternal always. Uh, is, is that everything was one. Everything mm-hmm. was one, one energy. And this one energy uh, never had a beginning and never has an end. Mm-hmm. It's infinite. It's, it's, a, it's absolutely infinite. <clears throat> yeah. I call it infinite love. (laughs) You go beyond the void and you just go into infinite love. (laughs) Right. So you and I were there at that time. Right. Well, in this vast space of perfection, which is our home, which is the totality, which there are no individuals and Mm there is no time and space, there emerged an idea, a very small idea, 
what would it be like to play alone? <clears throat> and it is that that produced what we call human consciousness. Now, Can you say that again? Can you say that again? It is death that causes no, human consciousness? That, T-H-A-T. The question, oh. it was that very question. Oh, yes. It's the curiosity to know what it is to be alone. Yeah. Right. And that produced human consciousness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Materialized as bodies after that. Yep, yep. Yep, that's yep. It's it's the polarity. It's the hmm. You're all everything, and you're all one, and you're just you just you are you, and yes, that's that's you. And then it's like, well, what would it would be like to have another? And then you got the opposites, and the opposites, the polarity, the curiosity is what created. Yeah, and in order for human consciousness take place and get to know itself it Mm -hmm. needs time and space yep a here and a there (laughs) that's right a here or or in computer terms a zero Mm -hmm. and a one yeah yep Uh, yep i'm with you i'm with you okay right right uh so we became individuals Mm -hmm. but there is no such thing as an individual person, mm-hmm. there is only now. So, so how do we how do we rise from this suffering? Um, you know, because there's a lot of people who. You see, the one thing that this voice told me to call itself. Don't call it. If you call it God, it's okay. But then again, people think of religion. If mm-hmm. you call it anything at all, if you call it love, then people relate relate to it according to how they feel love is. Mm-hmm. So, but he said, if you call it anything at all, you have to call it emptiness, because emptiness yeah. is the only word is the only word in the English language that has no beginning or end. Yeah, yeah. It, the the spiritual emptiness. Buddhists call it the spiritual emptiness, the the void, the nothingness, the non duality. That's right. No, All no. those words. Yep. Yep. That, yeah. Or a common one, nirvana. Just. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. So the word emptiness, when people think of emptiness, they don't try to stop and try to experience it. Mm-hmm. Immediately, they get afraid. I'm empty in my heart. I'm lonely. And I am. Uh, I, I, whatever, I'm suffering, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what it taught me is the number one is the totality and the perfection. And it is emptiness. Number two, unknown fact, is that emptiness is the highest human suffering. I, le- I didn't learn that in psychology nor philosophy. I learned it through this experience. So, Bert, it's emptiness or, you know, what Buddhists call nirvana, but if that that emptiness is the source of the highest suffering, is it the separation from knowing that emptiness that is the cause of your suffering? Well, the suffering is the ignorance of not knowing what emptiness means. And so we interpret mm. it as 
missing, we interpret it as something that is not complete within itself. In other words, mention emptiness or something, you are empty. Immediately, people take it as an insult. Yeah, yeah. Well, people in the West, people in the West take it as an insult, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) People in the East are like, oh, yeah, everything, allness. (laughs) The most beautiful word. Mm -hmm. Emptiness means the totality, it's no beginning, no end. It's perfect in every sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, everything else. Yeah. 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 Like in computer programming, they they call they would relate that to the blue screen. It's yeah. beautiful. It's perfect. It's you can put anything on that blue screen. You yeah. start from nothing to everything. Yeah, and it's the zero. It's but the zero. Yeah. Or backwards, <laughs> negative one, negative two. Yeah. It starts at the zero. Well, you know, you know, since everybody's in different stages of spiritual evolution yes. and, you know, how can people help others while still maintaining respectful boundaries so we can coexist harmoniously, you know, in these higher dimensions, in the fifth dimension or higher? The, the thing is not for us to change anything within ourselves in order to understand. The, the fact is that we are empty. And so when we begin to experience that within ourselves and accept it, then we see others as also empty, which means that when we're together, we're one. You know what I mean? Because everything is that one, is that oneness. The reason it is so frightening is because we think of emptiness as something missing, something not complete, because we don't understand that completion is spirit. It is emptiness. So it, it is the, the, the truth, the truth, the unchanging truth, the truth of everything is completion. It's infinite completion. There, there's no, nothing lacking in it. So there is no happiness that is greater than that. There is no joy greater than, than our true home, which is right. the fulfillment of being. Right, right. Number two is that, that uh, emptiness is the greatest fear of mankind. Now we oh, that is so true. <laughs> yes, because you think I'm being I'm going to be no more. I'm gonna lose my ego, my identity. What's gonna happen to Bert or Susie or Vaughn? I love them so much. I spent all these lifetimes getting to know them and accepting them and now I have to relinquish that and get reabsorbed with the emptiness of the Yes, but that's oneness. <laughs> then we go to number three, we don't have to do anything. There you go. Num- number three the facts are facts. So whenever you, you uh, honors, okay, honors is regarded as our testing one, mm-hmm. our experience. And it teaches us what doesn't work. So therefore, as we begin to see what doesn't work, I'm trying to be happy. Why? Because I'm not happy. You see? So in other words, we're constantly trying to achieve that which we already are, which is being, which is complete, which is empty. When we become aware of that, we become very, we realize that all our unhappiness, guilt, shame, fear, all ugliness is based on the fact that we are trying to get rid of emptiness, trying to fill it with something, more money, more success, more Mm -hmm. this, more that, you see? Yeah. But if we realize that, 
and learn from emptiness that emptiness when you are just being in the moment everything mm -hmm. is complete. you begin to see the beauty of that love that in itself creates the healing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Course of they call it um, um, Forgiveness. Forgiveness, right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Or another way is letting go of the anger of what happened. Just letting go of that. Not really. Yeah. Not really. Okay. Say. Because uh, in psychology, that's what you say. Get rid of anger. Anger is, anger is not good for you. If, you. if you give in to anger or you hold it in, you're going to bust. In anger, if you look at it, in other words, you understand it. It's there because I feel incomplete. You know, I am angry. I didn't get my way. I am angry because this is not working out the way I want it. Well, the moment we look at something, we find that we are angry about nothing. We don't try to forgive it. We don't try to get rid of it. We see that there's nothing there. That becomes a healing. Right, right. Everything we bring something into nothing. Everything we do that. We are actually um, regenerating. You see? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as, the, as things, as people start getting more into their awakening and they get closer into the realization that they are the allness and they're a piece of the allness and the piece of, and, you know, of the emptiness. Um, and it's just consciousness having these different experiences through all these different people. Um, and all these different um, stories um, that we play, you know, how, what, what people struggle with is how can they, when they accept this and when they learn this for themselves, how can they have the best experience in the form that they are in this incarnation? Like what kind of tips can you give people to kind of make peace with the emptiness and make peace with the incarnation? Because what we're trying to achieve all the time, and we're trying to achieve it all the time, are peace, love, happiness, joy. See, we're, but when you stop, they are empty. Where is happiness? It is joy. Where is beauty? It is joy. So when we see that joy is not achievable, joy is not, is not a, a, a goal to be gained, the moment we stop trying to gain it, we are it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, all the time. So then mm -hmm. understanding very, very slowly, we see that there's nothing to be done. There's no work involved, yeah. no acceptance or rejection. There is simply seeing. Like, for example, one of the things that I learned from writing this book is that everybody's trying to learn by reading a book mm -hmm. or studying something. That's okay, but it doesn't give you the experience. What mm -hmm. changes you, what transforms someone, is direct experience. Exactly. Know for yourself. Yes, yes. Well, Bert, I can talk to you all day. Um, but, you know, we, we just gave people just a little bit of the wisdom of emptiness and, you know, a little of a little Dharma talk from the void, really. <laughs> um you know, where can people find your product offerings to read um, this book and all the other books you've written in your in your career? Mm -hmm. The book is published by... Um, Balboa Press. Yeah. yeah. So they can get it on Amazon. Um, okay, there's that one. Is there another one? 
The other one is just the original one, but yeah. it, this is the new version. The new version? Okay. Yeah. This, is, this is the story yeah. of the book, uh, briefly, okay? Do we have time? Yes, we have, a, we have time. Okay. Okay. This book came from uh, a lovely... Um, in the Garden Publishing. In the, it's called the In the Garden Publishing. We became friends, and uh, I wrote seven books, and she published them. And so, no, sorry, six, because one of them was rejected because I quoted some, someone that I shouldn't have. A poem or something. A poem, I took yeah. a poem, yeah. Anyway, and um, I sent her this, this manuscript the moment the six days were over, and I sent it to her. And she said, no, just send it to me, Bert. I want to see it, because prior to that, as I said, she published six of my books. The, the moment she saw it, there were many grammat grammatical mistakes because I was trying to listen to the voice was saying and there were spelling mistakes. Uh, but she wanted it right away. And she made a copy of the book in one week. You know, and she was very thrilled, thrilled with the copy. Uh, so what, what is uh, I'm trying to say here? Um, <clears throat> they don't, she doesn't publish them anymore. So we went to No, she doesn't. No. She went out uh, of she business. Went, she went out of business. So yeah. he has six books that aren't currently in print right now, which we want to get back in print. We're also getting this translated right now um, into Chinese. Yeah. We have some friends that... Yeah. It's a process. It's a process. I, you know, I know it's a process. But while while those others are getting republished, retranslated, they can people can sink their teeth on this one. <laughs> this is to me. This is. I cannot talk about the four unknown facts because it uh, it, it brings tears to my eyes. Yes. Yes. It's incredible. It's so beautiful. And uh, lately, um, I even <laughs> I, I even had um, um, I, I felt itchy, you know. I mm. Felt, mm -hmm. I, I'll go and take a hot shower from from the thing, etc., etc., and then I go back to bed, and uh, we're sleeping together, of course. And so um, I went into the room, I sat down and meditated. And at that moment, I felt so beautiful, so good again. And the foreign effects clarified themselves once more. See, because I'm hoping all the time that the book reaches more people. It and will. It will reach a new generation, Bert. It will reach a new generation. Um, Bert, love talking to you. Thank you so much for a wonderful interview. We've got to get back together again and carry, carry on to another book series that you do. But, and for everybody, everybody else, you can go to BertHarding.com and go down the rabbit hole and look at all of his wonderful offerings there and um, reach out to him as well. Um, he's just a wealth of information and it's going to really help you with your awakening and your ascension process and kind of helping you create a better reality for yourself. So everyone, again, thank you so much for listening to this enlightening conversation. Until next time. Namaste. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. For more information about today's guest, please go to the show description. For more information about Vaughn's metaphysical work, please go to MerkabaChakras.com. The views expressed today are for entertainment purposes 
and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. Don't forget to subscribe for more interviews about the fifth dimension. Until we meet again, blessings.